Art Time of the Month presents the best of the 2010s. 10s, We're the 2010s. Top five of a whole goddamn decade. Woo! Hi, Josephine. Hi, Miss Wendy. Oh my gosh. This felt like a daunting task. Yes. To have to look at 10 years of art and culture. And to say that these are the five things that you stand out. You only get five. Yeah. That is it. <laughs> Not even 10, just five. Just five. It's a lot. It's a lot. But yeah. this all stemmed from the fact that, like, for the last now two years, we have done a top five episode that kind of recapped our top five artistic moments of arts and culture for that year. Mm-hmm. Many of which we have talked about in our monthly cycles. Yes. Um, but, and some that we haven't. But Joe brought up last month, you know, this is also the end of a decade. Do we want to do a decade review? And I was like, can we? It's like, challenge. We sure can. We sure did. So here we are. Also, you should note that Josephine and I have not disclosed our top five to each other. No, no, no. We'll see finger if there's wag. any overlap. I doubt there will be. Shake to a be finger, quite eyebrow raise. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Is there going to be overlap? I don't know. I'm kind of, I don't think so. I, I'm i just going to throw it out there and say maybe there will be maybe one. We had a one overlap with our 2019 with Lizzo. Yeah, so so go back and listen to that. Yes. But, yeah. So I think I'll go first. Go first for, this for the one. decade. Okay. Give it to me, Josephine. Um, The Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay, that is, would not be on my I was going to say, like, no this will role. definitely not be on, <laughs> on yours. So the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, having its full and complete, you know, taking that 10 years to have, um, to, to close out several storylines. Did they do, like, a movie a year or no? Ba- basically. Like, they did multiple movies uh, a year towards the end. Okay. But to have that... I mean, technically, it was 2009, so not in this decade. But it started with it started with Iron Man one with mm-hmm. Downey Jr. And then from there, the seeds are planted. Marvel Studios is created, you know, moves into that, and the the idea for the Avengers becomes fleshed out. 2010, you get to 2011, 12, and so from there, they basically take you through. Not only are we going to have three Avengers movies, but we're going to have other movies that are going to basically inform what happens in those three, those two other movies. How as many well. Marvel movie, movies in total are in the <sighs> cycle? Oh my gosh! So they come out in different phases. Um, I know that the way that they have. Um, the way that Marvel Studios has set it up is that there's different phases that tell complete thoughts. So, like, the end of Phase 1, Phase 1 ends with the first Avengers. Phase 2 ends with the second Avengers and so on. But they're moving on. Now that Endgame is over and we see that some of those characters have, like, their contracts are up. You know, mm-hmm. just on a very, like, logistical level, the contracts are up. Um, we're not going to get them. So now it's this, we're in an interesting moment where they can move forward, but how will they move forward now when you had like Downey Jr., who was the first, who was the very first, you know, Avenger and Chris Evans, who was Captain America, like, how are they going to move forward? Mm-hmm. I dodged your question because I don't know mm-hmm. <laughs> because, but it's, it's a lot of movies. Have you seen all of them? I have seen all of them except for, um, the Hulk with Edward Norton because oh, okay. Edward Norton in the Marvel universe played the Hulk, but then he was replaced with Mark Ruffalo after that. Got so it. I've seen them all except for that. Okay. And I've seen 
pretty much all of them in theaters except for maybe four. Yeah, right. Um, and you know, I I kind of put I got to push back against. Uh, you know, no offense to Marty Scorsese oh, yeah. and his very pointed... Super controversial statement that he made. Exactly. His very pointed comments, um, you know, just because they're not four hours long and about old men oh my God. And, and, yes. and the mob. <laughs> the same four actors playing <laughs> mafia men. Yeah. Exactly. So, again, like, I think that we're... I just kept thinking about it. I'm like, this is this generation's, like, this is what Star Wars was for the genera- for that generation, the late 70s. For the 70s, 70s 80s kids. For yeah. the 70s, 80s kids. And we're going to look back and we're going to see, like, wow, these this there, this was a this was a watershed moment in terms of entertainment because not only did you have um, movies that were connecting, but you also had TV shows, like a network television show in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that connected to several films mm. that came out in the Marvel Universe. It's cool. It's very cool of how all this, they were, they're trying to make these things all happen when prior to, you had superhero movies that didn't, that were not as fleshed out as, as these. Yes. I have a question. I'm raising my hand. Answer. You have to call on me. Um, yes, Miss Wendy in the front. Thank you. Thank you for calling on me. Um, is Luke Cage a part of the Marvel Universe? Luke Cage is a part of the Marvel See, Universe. I know a thing. <laughs> Are you proud of me? It does not surprise me Are that you, you would know. Are you proud of me, though? I am proud of you. I randomly watched Luke a season of Luke Cage on Netflix, <laughs> and I was like, I, I wonder what this is about. And I watched it, and I was like, oh, is this some superhero shit? Yeah. And then I was watching it and I was like, I'm not mad at this superhero shit. Okay, and you I'll saw watch Black it. Panther. I saw Black Panther. You know, like, we had to do our duty. We saw we Black did Panther. Our duty, and I'm like, maybe I just have a thing for muscular black men. Uh, maybe you do. In superhero style fashion. But, but so, yes. but even that. So, like, you have yeah. um, the Defenders series, which is Luke Cage, uh, Jessica Jones, Daredevil, and Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. Those four TV shows on Netflix that all connected in this one thing to come together. So four individual TV shows, different seasons among them, and then coming together for one season of the defenders where they all together. Like, it's just insane how, how much also just, if you think about like the amount of work and the jobs that that billion billions of dollars, yeah. yeah, full industry and, and I and I'm someone who is like not I'm not a comic book reader, mm-hmm. but I do appreciate a good comic book movie, and I like going back and like reading the Wikipedia synopsis of all these different things. But to also think about like these people who were like the comic book reader nerds when mm-hmm. these were coming out, and to see them experience this joy where the thing that was solely was so niche for them that is now blown up to become part of the mainstream culture um, is, is very fascinating. And I think that the 2010s, um, the 2010s would be a completely different place if it had not been for the magic of Marvel and, and people have tried to recreate it. I mean, you have Batman versus Superman and the justice league trying to capitalize on that, Mm -hmm. but not being quite able to get it there the way, the way that they've created it with their, particular brand of magic so mm-hmm. it's fascinating and i i think we would be a very interesting place if it wasn't awesome but yeah nice there you go all right good one for the 2010s good in the 2010s one down for joe yes go all right one for miss wendy Ooh, i'm very curious hamilton ah this was gonna be on mine was it yes ah. but i decided not to okay. yes i 
I kind of, I put this on my list kind of like, like begrudgingly just because I'm sick of it. But <laughs> you had to, though. I right? had to put it on there um, because it is the Camelot of our generation. You know, it is, it is an epic piece of theater that left its mark on an entire decade and an entire decade generation of children and theater goers and uh, a presidency. Yeah. Um, and it was a really big damn deal. And it blew Broadway way the fuck up. A billion dollar musical. Billion dollar musical, if not multi. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, the initial investors on Hamilton and the in- the founding cast members of Hamilton are like set for the rest of their damn lives. Hamilton now has two sitting productions, one in New York, one in Chicago. I'm certain that there's another there's a sitting production in London, I think. Uh, yes, in the West End, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and then they have three national tours going right now, let alone like books, merch, like there's so 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 much. Um and just the platform that it gave to um the founders is mm-hmm. it's an interesting time right now when there's so much t- impeachment talk. Yeah. To kind of look at now like the founders and the framers of our constitution mm-hmm. within the context of Hamilton, right? Cuz yeah. if you look at this world in which the framers of our constitution were men of color. Yeah. You know, like how their laws uphold this man currently sitting in office and the impeachment process now. And I love how Republicans are like talking about how like, well, Hamilton said this, this and this about impeachment. And burr, burr, burr. Um, yet I wonder how many of them have read the Federalist Papers. I wonder like, you know, the exact knowledge that so many people now have because they've read Ron Chernow's book, because they read the Federalist Papers, because yeah. because this musical sparked that kind of interest. Exactly. Um, it's really done such um, – such a service to American history and to this forgotten man in our American history, this overlooked man in American history. Now probably the biggest figure in American history, in in our modern consciousness. Exactly. I mean, Hamilton has always been kind of like the, um, like the, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the, um, the, like the pinnacle of wall street. Yes. Mm -hmm. On wall street, the stock exchange, like, Hamilton is like he built the financial system. He and built the financial system. He is Wall Street's main guy. Like they honor and revere him, you know. Um, and he's buried downtown. He's in Trinity Church. Like he's he's there. He's still there. Every day he's there. Um, and so it's it's interesting to kind of see like Wall Street intertwined with like you know impeachment and and that coupled with all of this history coupled with. Broadway question mark you know it's so yeah. like all of a sudden a Broadway show did all of that and like that is such credit to Lynn Miranda's genius and mm-hmm. um and while yes we got so oversaturated with Hamilton mm-hmm. I mean I also kind of was just kind of like patiently waiting for it to die down a little bit because there was this like flux of two years where like kids wouldn't stop singing it and like you know everyone was talking about it and like People who had never seen theater in their lives were talking about it. And and that's both good and bad because, you know, amazing groundbreaking theater has come out since Hamilton that, you know, 
ignorant white people are only going to focus on what's popular. Um, I shouldn't say white people. I mean, yes. ignorant people in general. Yeah. But, um, like, Hamilton was what's popular, what was popular. Yeah. You know, and so that's what people fixated on. And it was a status symbol for it was a while. A status symbol, like if you saw Hamilton, oh my god, with like, the original cast. Oh my god, yeah, I did. Oh my god, how did yeah. you get tickets? Oh my god, and yeah. then like, did you see the tour? When are you gonna, are you going to see it in LA? You're going to see it here. You know, like there's all of this talk, and like now, you know, a friend of mine is on the tour. A friend of mine was in the show in New York, and like, um, yes, there's still stat- there's status attached to that show. And there will be, but, you know, there's also, like, it It felt like a moment in American history yeah. and American theater history mm-hmm. because this show just came along and, like, left such a mark on a whole culture. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, three things Go. about Hamilton. The first one... 2009 Night of Poetry and Music, I think, at the White House. Yes. That beautiful video that uh, they show where Lin-Manuel does um, the... Does Alexander Asbur. Ham- Asbur does Alexander Hamilton um, at the beginning of the decade, right? Um, so, like, this is the... It started, again, at the beginning of this decade, end of the last, the beginning of this one, to I... <laughs> Hamilton, so my cousin who lives in, who lives on Guam with her husband and her three kids, her daughters love Hamilton. And I remember watching a video of them doing the Schuyler sisters. And we're, <laughs> and we're talking about like two. It's universal. Exactly. Two young girls living, living on Guam who like have accessed, who are accessing American history and who are accessing theater um, and it, and seeing its reach, and so, and then when I saw them over the summer, they were like, "Oh yeah, we're actually going to San Francisco." I saw them in Vegas. Uh-huh. We're going to San Francisco because we're going to see Hamilton. Yeah. And I was like, "This is." I was so excited for them and f- to see their journey being able to like, mm-hmm. um, seeing their journey being able to uh, watch that, and it's just it's it's interesting to me because it's like. Those are the people who, these are the kids who see the big musical and that inspires them to go and do the next thing and the next thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the first step in that process, right? Like whatever sparks your creative interest. Have you seen the show? Yeah, I have. You did? Okay. Mm -hmm. I saw the tour at Pantages. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, Yeah, I mean, I thought I was like, like, (laughs) like, we've talked about it on this podcast too. Like, I saw it. And then I was over it. And then the world caught up. So my timeline with Hamilton was a little different than everyone else's. Yeah. But, like, um, I couldn't not talk about it in, in the context of this decade because regardless of my personal feelings on it, like, there's no denying that it was such a chunk, an yeah. artistic chunk of this decade. Yeah. I, I remember telling friends that we're going to New York. I'm like, you guys should go see a show and you need to go see the show at the public. It's called Hamilton. And, like, I know nothing about it other yeah. than you probably should go see it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. What is your number two? RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, yeah. Yes. When did it start? 2009. Nine. Okay, so it started right before. 2009, but like... (laughs) But that first season, though. But that first season. That first season, though. Vaseline. Yeah, that gauze Elizabeth Taylor. Exactly. Um, And so, yeah, so like... RuPaul's Drag Race, I mean... Really defined a decade. It defined a decade, yeah. and, like, you, you gotta think about everything that's happened since that first season, and oh, yeah. what RuPaul... 
what RuPaul was 10 years ago to sure. where it, to where it is now and like I also like every everything that I'm mentioning as like a, there's a there's a personal journey that I took with each of these things so mm-hmm. with RuPaul it was like seeing it be uh, seeing it be like referenced and panned on like the best week ever on VH1 yep. and then going to my very first drag show um which was a drag show before the before Pride weekend and like meeting a guy there this really handsome guy who like was the first guy at a gay bar to buy me a drink mm-hmm. and he was like talking about all the queens and really like interested in we're still friends to this day and then from there discovering it and discovering all of that like it's mm-hmm. just so interesting and like it really kind of like it really centers that like their the queer community and how like drag queens have always kind of been our like figureheads that w- that are out there speaking for us and living in a way that and living in a way um, that makes us more brave mm-hmm. as well. I mean, like I'm getting, and then you know, it's not without its complications, of and course. it's not without its um, without uh, the w- without you know, there's good drag, there's bad drag, and sure. you know. But, like, it's definitely, like, we've had 10 years, we've had an entire decade of, you know, everybody say love. Mm-hmm. An entire decade of, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? Yeah. We've had this entire decade of that. And mm-hmm. all, like, fuck, we had a drag queen walk the red carpet. Yeah. Uh, f- to, for um, A Star is Born, we have had, like, a drag queen be nominated for, like, an Oscar uh, or I think it's an Oscar and Emmy. I forget which one. But, like, there's just so much. And mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see where it goes now that it has this wider audience and how and how it retains its queerness. Because mm-hmm. now we're at a point where now there are people who are being critical of it. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see what happens now. We're also at a, po- a point where people are being critical of RuPaul as well. Yeah, how absolutely. He has become... Uh, in terms of, like, his comments on the trans community, et yeah. cetera. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, like, I mean, this was – that defined a decade. It defined, sure. like, a whole – like, that. that's a whole generation of, like, young queer people. Yeah, that got um, to grow up seeing yeah. men putting it, on makeup. Exactly. Transforming, telling their stories. Yeah, like, fucking Aquaria. A fucking mm-hmm. Aquaria is like this was her. This was she got into drag because of this yeah. show. Yeah, and yeah, it's interesting. But it also opened up larger conversations too about the lives that these men in drag have have led, mm-hmm. um, and the stories and the pain that has got them there. Yeah. I.e., like parents who have abandoned them or let them go, eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, jail time, et cetera. You know, like there's, there's so much pain and, and their joy and beauty through all of that is like astounding and remarkable. And that's what gives that show so much heart. Yeah. Also. And their way to, you know, things that are very specific to queer culture and to bring that to like this large audience. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a whole, there are a bunch of people who know about like John Waters movies now because mm-hmm. of that. Who know fucking Grey Gardens and Lil Edie. And who know a little bit more about Stonewall. Yeah, a little bit about Stonewall. Who yeah. know? Uh, yeah, it's. Yeah, there's a lot. Absolutely. And who know more about Pride parades and where to find them in your city? Yeah. And, yeah, there's a lot. You're right. That was a good one. Yeah. That was a really good one, Joe. Mm. Ooh, Air Five. Air Five. Shh. Okay. 
Glitter sports. Glitter sports. Yay. Okay. My next one mm-hmm. is a scotch political. Okay. And by a scotch, I mean a lot. Okay. Um, it is the testimony of Christine Blase Ford. Ah, yes. It definitely defines a decade. Defining a decade. And it was recent in this decade. Um, but her testimony against Brett Kavanaugh was the Anita Hill Clarence Thomas of our time now. Um, and it also, in a way that we couldn't do for Anita Hill, mm-hmm. um, sparked Me Too and Time's Up and and woke up this generation of young women who saw what the government is doing and um, and and really it was this giant middle finger to like all of the stuffy old men sitting on this bench sit, trying to shame her and judge her and, and belittle her. And she's like, no, no, I'm smart. I'm going to talk to you about my brain and the way I remember things. And, and, and she's sitting there so bravely recalling her trauma. And it just did so much culturally that then there was this movement on the step of the Supreme Court and like women rushing up to the doors of the Supreme Court as he was being confirmed, like in protest. So like this all tying into things like the women's marches. And I, I get that that's not necessarily artistic, but I feel like it is in that those kinds of moments in our culture have fueled the kind of art we're making and the kind of voice that we are giving young people. Mm-hmm. And so pop culturally speaking and then culturally speaking it was a moment yeah in our generation would you think that's a fair thing to put on the art time list yeah i i would say so i uh, it's it, it's something that's very heavy and yeah. it's just it's one of those things where it, it it's kind of this this particular moment that is a signal for other moments as mm-hmm. well and um so yeah, like you know, I don't want I don't want to take up too much space in this in the conversation because mm-hmm. I feel like it's very important to make sure that we put um, uh, we put uh, the voices of women in front of, of it. Of course, but yeah. but like but yeah, I would say that's a very that's a very fair thing. I mean, if you just think about like one of the I'm reading currently the um, the best non best non required reading of 2019 mm-hmm. and one of the pieces in this uh, in this collection is a piece of um it's an open letter from like the class of um i think that i think it's like the 1987 like class at yale or something like that where mm. which is like in support of uh dr blasey ford and yeah. and so it's it's something that's inspired that it is going to inspire artists and it was a way for us to kind of write this write so many wrongs that happened with Clarence Thomas and Anita yeah, Hill yeah. and to also remind us that you know history repeats itself history does in fact repeat yeah. itself like literally with Joe Biden like you yeah. know like and Bernie Sanders and all of that but like Joe Biden being on the bench yeah. Like with Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas and like and all of that to like cut to Christine Blase Ford's testimony, Dr. Blase Ford's testimony and Joe Biden running for president. Like all of this just in tandem, like history 
is repeating itself, not always in positive ways, and in fact, in this way, pretty damaging. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was super culturally significant moment for me, yeah. at least, um, and for women across America, yeah. hands down. Absolutely. Yeah. What is your number three? Uh, no, my number three is um, Amy Sherman Palladino Intellectual Property. <laughs> Ooh. So Amy Sherman Palladino, famously the, uh, famously the creator uh, of um, Gilmore Girls. Uh-huh. And I kind of went down. So Gilmore Girls ends, right? And Yep. And we, we get rumors a little bit about there is going to be something is not – um, and it kind of all starts 2014, 2014, all Gilmore Girls seasons are available for streaming on Netflix in the yep. United States. Soon and be- that was when mm-hmm. everybody was like, I love the Gilmore Girls, but I hate the theme song. What do yeah. I do? Because I'm listening, I'm streaming it, I'm binging it. What am I doing? But everyone hates that theme song. Fight and me on that. I, I will. Cause Fight I love me. it. You do. Yeah. Every time. I mean, not every time, but I if do love the song. on the road. <laughs> Feeling like I'm so good. Oh, yeah, have that deal with my man named it. On the next train. Toot, toot. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. So when you, me. when you listen to the Gilmore, when you listen to the Gilmore Guys podcast, <laughs> they have like a whole thing that makes it easier to listen to. Uh, but yeah, so you have like with this, with it coming to streaming, um, when you, with it coming to streaming and have like finding its like resurgence and again talking about like the power of the fandom uh-huh. and you know the unreleased yeah. the undisclosed numbers of Netflix of how many how much they actually people actually watch it and it was already you know pretty well viewed in syndication on ABC Family at the time and and other places but it was when it came to Netflix that it started to really get some new life. And then 2015, you have the ATX Television Festival reunion of the entire cast uh-huh. um, with the empty chair for Edward Herman. Oh, and then crushing. From, and then from that, where ASP Amy Sherman Palladino says, "Like, oh no, we're not. We don't have anything in production." Oh, she's ASP to you now. You tight like that. It's so the Gil- ASP girl. So the <laughs> the Gilmore guys, uh-huh. which is which is a podcast that like I love and. And adore and those uh-huh. two comedians. Um, that's how they refer to her they, as ASP because it's right. you know Amy Sherman Palladino. But as long as we're crediting them with that, nonsense, exactly not that is you. that is them. That's Got Kevin it. T. Porter and Demi Dijuibe. Um So with that, and then from the ATX Festival, the uh, shortly thereafter, the announcement of no, we are going to produce a year in the life. A year in the life happens. Yee-hee. And then, you know, working on building, working on building stars, hollow. And then 2017, you know, not a not couple months later after that, we get The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. The most perfect television. Yeah. And the, and the return the most of original. perfect television. Yeah. yeah. And, so, and so, yeah, she really, she kind of turned it out the last half of this decade, taking something that was already her, like, established what she was going to be known for and it was going to be in her obituary mm-hmm. and then deciding like, no, I still have more to give mm-hmm. and ending it the way that she wanted to end it yeah. with her, you know, as eye rolly as it was her final four words yeah. and ending it how she wanted to end it. 
and then moving on to create this other beautiful piece that ended up being the more critically acclaimed television yeah, show. Just topping that. Yeah. Yeah. So Amy Sherman, Sherman Palladino in her crazy-ass top hat. Yeah. I mean, I need her to just live in that crazy bullshit top hat at every damn award show because yeah, I'm so here for it. Exactly. I mean, I think right now Maisel has uh, the record for the most um, the most wins for the first season of television, for a show's first season of television. And that's like... Incredible for for Emmys, I think. Statistic, yeah. Um, um, I was looking it up today because I was like, how much? I was like, how much? (laughs) I'm like, I cannot confirm or deny that statistic. I don't know. So again, like, and and it also is a testament to this direction that was going to be a point of mine, uh, but I decided not to. um, Because I'm going to illustrate it right now is that the power of streaming and Uh how it's like Gilmore Girls and Marvelous Mrs. Maisel are showing just how. Um, how this decade was defined by like streaming movies and television and how those platforms that were literally just middlemen vessels Mm -hmm. are now producers of content. Yeah. And they have more money than God and they will continue to have more money than God and make, and you know, and make it so that way you have the exact right fondue pot that was used in 1960, whatever. Seriously. So yeah. Perfect television. Yeah. It's it's yeah. great. So shout and out to also, you. We should talk in terms of like streaming services and things like that. This is the first year that the Golden Globes, not a single network television show has been nominated for a damn thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, because so the this is the age of network television is dead. Basically, network dead. television yeah. went from being like it was seen as this public good, like it was seen as this way for the for to for the public to receive information yeah. and that's why we had network TV and then now we don't have that anymore because in the in all the good shit you got to pay for exactly and information is being given out no longer in television but on the internet yeah. so yeah 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 Oof. we'll see what the next ten years brings, but it's very exciting it is it really is um yeah, especially when you think about like, you know, at the beginning of at the beginning of this decade, 2010, mm-hmm. people had just started like the popularity of smartphones. Mm-hmm. You know, like peop like we were kind of just entering the age yeah. where everyone had a smartphone. Yeah, iPhone comes out 2007. Yeah. And then is several versions come out, but then competitors start to catch up. People Officially, a good majority of the population will have a smart had a smartphone by 2010. By 2010, so yeah. by 2010, people had immediacy to news, content, television, now streaming services as the decade progressed in their pocket. Yeah, yeah, and thus making network television obsolete because no one watches anything with commercials anymore. Um, are you ready to hear my number three? Sure. And I wonder if this might be something that has overlapped with yours. Okay. I wonder. I'm going to go ahead and hit you with two royal weddings and four royal babies. Not overlapping. Really? Yeah. We're still friends. We're still friends. Yeah, high five. But, but, but not overlapping. Not overlapping. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, this decade was defined by two royal weddings two royal and a bunch of royal children. And a bunch of four royal babies. So... And under still this House of Windsor QE2. Ha- yeah. Queen Elizabeth is not going anywhere. 
she's like waiting for like the good grandchild that's ready to take over. Yeah. Yeah. She's ready. Um, so 2011 was the wedding of Kate and William. Mm -hmm. And then they like quickly proceeded to pop out three children, um, including George, the next in line right Mm -hmm. after Mm -hmm. William. So the would be next and would be King will be, you know, in the line and has been born. And so I think, well, yes. And then the Meghan Markle and Harry getting married. And then and baby Archie. Archie. Also, Harry marrying a black princess. Go ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was exciting. But also, I think just we have not seen a moment like that since the Princess Diana and Charles wedding where the whole world stopped to get up at four in the morning and watch the royal wedding on TV and see the whole thing. Um and there really is such a sense of occasion. You and I spent so much time talking about, like, the Prince Harry wedding and the Meghan mm-hmm. Markle wedding mm-hmm. because, because, oh, my God, it was everything. And it was so black. It was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. It was so great. Um, and, and, like, just a, so many celebrities. Like, just all the celebrities showing up to, to cheer on the royals, like, are the celebrities really in, in those people's daily lives? I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? But anyway. Who's in the who's in the church? Who who's not in the church? Who got the good seats? Yeah. Who sits in the antechamber? Who yeah. knows, right? Um, but if you're any kind of Brit of status, you're invited to a royal wedding. And why? And I just think, like, the procedure, the sense of occasion, the dress, who designed the dress, you know, Kate, when she got married, very famously had bridesmaids also dressed in white. Mm-hmm. And that was like, <gasps> taboo. And <gasps> then also everyone started doing it, mm-hmm. um, which was so cool. And um, you know, Diana's like, ring. and Diana's ring. And then Meghan Markle having another one of Diana's diamonds and in such a simple A-line dress and like so understated. And all of it's just so good. I'm so here yeah. for it. Yeah, absolutely. Really here for it. So now there's three royal babies on the Kate and William side. There's the one royal baby on the Harry, Meghan side. Um, But all of that happened in less than a decade. Like they blew up the House of Windsor. Yeah. With a whole new generation. And it's just, you know, because William was such was such the popular kid in the 90s. So he was Mm -hmm. like that kid in the late 90s, early 2000s, especially um, like. There were like Tiger Beat and oh, team, yeah. you know about him. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. seeing him get married was kind of like this like seeing grown his, up his male pattern baldness. Take e- exactly yeah. seeing him take after Philip in that regard, yeah. um, and <laughs> and and to kind of see okay, so this is like the end of an era because now we see him as becoming this father, this man. And then to see also Harry grow up as well uh-huh. and a completely, and what it means for a, in a completely different context uh-huh. for the monarchy. And then, you know, now with a like overwhelmingly major uh, conservative majority in, um, in a British government, like, you know, it can, the case could be said that, you know, once QE2 is dead, this will be the last monarch because, you know, I mean, that's something that is definitely on the table. Yeah. So who knows? And it's interesting also to see, you know, like with the popularity of the crown on Netflix, you know, and understanding more about the history of the Mm -hmm. monarchy Mm -hmm. and the history of 
the British reign, um, for us to kind of in real time then see the next generation unfold and expand and to kind of have immediate access to things like, a, you know, like in our generation, we're going to see the next coronation. Yeah. That's exciting, you know, and we're going to, you know, we got to see two royal weddings this decade. And, you know, even just like the announcements of the baby names and how that's posted up at Buckingham Palace and all that. Like, all, I'm just fascinated with the procedurals of all of that and the fact that while we watch the history of it on Netflix, we have the immediacy of this generation's yeah. procedurals happening now. Um, so there it is. That's my number three. The royal wedding. Awesome. Yeah. What's your number four? Uh, number four, Beyonce. Yeah. 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 This is Beyonce's decade. Really? Um, I mean, pretty, pretty damn. Pretty damn. So Beyonce, yeah. you know, she has, I mean, the un, the unheralded release of her self-titled album. On my birthday. On your birthday yeah. and how that changed everything in terms of yeah, just. Yeah, like the secret release. Exactly. Like the, the drop. Yeah, I forgot about that. The secret drop of that and how that kind of was like, how it, that not had really, that had never really been done. That had never been done before. It I think I, I question why this decade because Beyonce has always been a part of my my thought process in terms of like Destiny's Child and like her popularity, her music has always been out there. Mm-hmm. But I forget how instrumental she has been in, in this decade. Yeah, and and it was we got a we got a more we got a different Beyonce because she was a more mature Beyonce. Like she hasn't had a number one hit since Single Ladies, mm-hmm. but she has had music that has resonated with an entire generation of mm-hmm. people. And you know, un- in what formation? Not the not in the same way as Single Ladies. Well, because it wasn't a pop hit, yeah. Exactly. So when you're talking, uh, when you're thinking about like the the Billboard Hot 100, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, it's not in that same way that pervaded airtime on on the radio. Got it. I understand. Because now you know, with title and all of that, yeah. like her fans are going exactly to consume her. They're going to consume her content without. The, without the radio dictating what it is, mm-hmm. and they're just going to go directly to the source, and that's what she did. She just dropped it, and she all this intense secret, like this this secrecy. She had the visual album, a visual album. Oh God, the visual album was so good. Which again, like that was with that, Pretty Hurts, remember it, exactly Pretty ah. Hurts and all of that, and trying to like like figuring out like this is like realizing in that moment that we were seeing at least for me, I was seeing something that had never been done before, yeah. and something that was very specific and unique in the kind of artistry that went into all of that. And then not only did that happen, but then Lemonade, and yeah. then Lemonade coming out, and you know. People saying that self-titled was Beyonce really owning the fact that she is like a woman. Um, she is a she is a woman in a marriage with children, and mm-hmm. and on and and what does that mean? And honoring that, and then like Lemonade being everything that it was, where it's like you how there's that struggle, but mm-hmm. still you go through it, and all the while like never explicitly talking about any of this mm-hmm. and like what the motivations behind it, but yeah. like being really transparent with her fans about her journey, mm-hmm. but letting that speak through the art. And so then, you know, capping this, uh, this uh, particular, this year off with her Coachella performance in the homecoming documentary. Yes. So I feel like this was her specific 
her her year in that sense because I mean and you know by extension Solange had a really great album yeah um, Cranes in the Sky is a beautiful song and like you know, Solange had her album and then you had they released her and Jay released the Carters which you know I really don't know much about because I really just want her yeah I don't really you know no offense to Hova but not not a fan yeah and so you kind of see that all go through um, this how that. For me, at least, it kind of showed again how there are people and artists that are flipping the script on what was conventional in mm-hmm. terms of distribution and consumption of their art. Mm-hmm. And how, like, you know, her live shows, like, she, where you make the majority of your money is live and is live shows anyway. Mm-hmm. And how she's able to keep that interesting. And then with title and all of that. And it's mm-hmm. just, yeah. So, Beyonce. And I and I, I was like, should I put this here because yes. it's very obvious? But then but I started it's not obvious. I didn't think of it. But when I started going with her, and I'm like, no, she really did change she it. Did. And she's someone who people like. And I say this as a trivia host, where when people ask, when I ask questions, and the answer is like a female artist, most people will put down Beyonce. But the answer is rarely ever Beyonce mm-hmm. because she doesn't. She is not as. Um, she is not as well known in terms of those accolades as some other people, mm-hmm. but she is definitely like the top when it comes to a very specific group of people. Yeah. So yeah. So there you That's go. That's a good choice. Beyonce is always the right choice. Yeah. I mean, you know, this I is, also like this firmly is true. believe that like there is no shitty day that an angry Beyonce jam cannot fix. Exactly. Like you You can taste the dishonesty. Not even that, but like, who the fuck do you think I is? <laughs> exactly. I have screamed that at yes. the top of my lungs. <laughs> I'm <my> sorry. Car. <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry. Exactly. Like, it, oh, she speaks for all of us. Thank you, Beyonce. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, mine is um, a little general. This okay. is my number four. And I want you to contribute to this conversation because I had some thoughts on this and I know that there's so much more. But I thought this decade specifically was uh, where we started to see woke programming as the norm. We started to see things like uh, shrill and blackish mm-hmm. and modern family and just like from network television programming through Netflix, through Prime, through every streaming service, like the representation mm-hmm. busted wide open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I would have to agree with you because you have people who are in those now positions of power as content creators and they're just being like, no, I'm going to see, I'm going to put down, I'm going to put up what I want to see. Yeah. I'm going to put myself up um, on the screen or on the page or wherever. So I would, I I I would say yes to in terms of like more representation. I feel like I feel like to I feel like woke, quote unquote, calling something woke mm. is like it it, it kind of speaks to like a particular a particular type of programming. Yes, because now you have like. Dolly Parton's heartstrings. This is true. Where you have like you know a nibbling is a non is a gender non binary way to say a niece or a nephew, uh-huh. and it's like okay, like we didn't need that exposition. Whereas you have like blackish, which is just going to you know it's just a part of the world. It doesn't need really that much explanation. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's the programming is walking the fine line between the two, where it's like how do you create something that is 
how do you create something that just is as um, as and but doesn't have to like explicitly say be so obvious about this is why we said this yeah so like here case in point um the other two uh comedy central mm-hmm. series the other two it's having a it's two uh friends and they're both gay but like the only thing but you just know that about them yeah. it's not and a it's fr- not central to their story. it's not central to yeah. their story it's not their conflict exactly yeah yeah exactly and that's what i mean in terms of like how television has grown because 20 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, you had my so-called life, wherein mm-hmm. you have a gay character, but that is their conflict, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, today, this decade, yeah. we get to, like, get rid of that. Like, yeah. you know, the, those who came before us fought so that we don't have to let that be yeah. a struggle anymore. You know, and I look at, like, uh, an actor like Ed O'Neill, who, you know, 30, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, was doing Married with Children, uh-huh. mm-hmm. you know, which was, like, all white, all white trash, you know, and cut to now 30 years later and him being in an interracial marriage with gay children and with, mm-hmm. you know, adopted grandchildren. And, and um, you know, I think just the, the arc that we get to see these actors kind of grow into um, and then also the, the new actors that we have been getting to experience as a result of, like, yeah. This being a generation of people where, like, your skin color doesn't need to be your story and your sexuality doesn't need to be your story. Yeah. But thank God we're seeing it. Mm-hmm. That's what I've been grateful for this semester. This, this semester. This decade. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm a teacher. She's a teacher, this y'all. Decade. Um, this uh, Dynasty. The, re- yes. the rebooted Dynasty 2017. Yeah. Stephen Carrington, when the original Dynasty was going on, his whole conflict was uh-huh. the fact that he was not... Um, being accepted by his father for being gay. Uh And then in 2017, it's like, dad knows he's gay, doesn't care. And it's just like, he's gay. The Colbys being black, but like adding, not just to make them black just because, but because making them black adds an element of tension because of the already inherent like racial tension that pervades the country. Uh So like... I mean, again, and is I don't know if Dynasty's still going, still going on. Probably, I stopped watching after season one. I didn't even know it came back. It, <laughs> it, but like, it, yeah. I just remember being so interested in it because yeah. it was just like, let's the conflict between the Colbys and the Carringtons was like, let's make the Colbys this young guy who got his start working for Carrington, but yeah. he's black, and that's the tension. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Now, now, like now, the sevens are going to be like, oh, Dynasty. Maybe I should check it out. <laughs> it's trashy. It's, it's trash, guys. It's, it's trashy. They made Heather Locklear's character a man who sleeps with Steven. Like it's what? great. Exactly. Trash. We're done. We're done with Dynasty. But I put it on my list though because I think like the evolution of how far we've come in terms of representation and what is what is our normal that we're seeing. Yeah. Um, specifically in this decade, I felt like that was. That was the bar, and that was our normal. And I was happy that, like, because I, I just remember seeing, like, if we did see black characters on television, it was the Cosby show. Mm-hmm. It was all black television. It was all white television, you know? And there was no, there was nothing that felt like like our culture feels today, and now it feels really um, true to who we are every day. So... Where have we still to go? Oh, God. I mean, because we do have still to go places. But. I think politically is where we need to go now. I mean, um, 
in terms of like skin color, sexuality, that kind of diversity, yes, I think where we're seeing the most division right now is in ideology and is in like what I believe versus what you believe. You know, like you're a Republican, I'm Democrat, like therefore we have to hate each other. You know, or you're Republican and I'm automatically gonna assume you're racist and you know, like those kinds of ideologies, that's where we need to kind of see diversity mm -hmm. and this is where we need to start kind of blending lines and getting back to like a, a humanity and, and a story that makes sense for for all of us but I'm getting on my political high horse and that is that but in terms of story and what we need to see next I think that that ultimately is like what needs to be explored you know mm -hmm. I don't, what would you say um, I think we are just scratching the surface in terms of uh um, people of different um, able abilities. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, we had special, but what more? Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking that we are uh, still truly scratching the surface with, like, uh, some really good, uh, like, fat liberation and uh, fat liberation representation in media. Mm -hmm. Shrill is a good start, but mm -hmm. then we still need to see more. Mm -hmm. Um you know, because and and kind of working against that, and how do we work against that? Um, we need to have obviously with Pose, it's great, but like we can always have more trans representation on television. Um, I see what you're saying about the ideologies, uh, but I feel like those are like three places where I think that we've already started, at least in this decade or towards the end of this decade. Mm -hmm. And, like, where we can go propelled forward is, like, we have the, the art that's going to be created with yeah, those. Yeah, I with, agree. With yeah, that. yeah, yeah. And that's what I mean. I'm like, yeah. that's where we're waiting for it. Yeah, yeah. 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 The, my this final one. number five. My, uh, my five. Give my, me your number five. My, 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 my last one's a really personal one. Um, it's okay. my, um, my own personal journey as a podcaster. Um, because I went from in the summer of 2010, listening to podcasts for the first time at this terrible job that I had over the summer, which was five hours a night from like 5 PM to 10 PM, mm -hmm. literally transferring numbers from one column into another column. Ew. And it was at a, it was at a bankruptcy firm. So the Ugh. firm was experiencing a lot of growth because of the housing crisis. Yeah. And so they needed people and I was there and it was my first like real office job. And I, I immediately understood everything about the movie office space. Mm -hmm. And I just remember listening, getting sick of my music, sick of book on tapes, books on tape, listening to podcasts and immediately just falling in love. And then from that moment, I was like, okay, well, how do I go from a person who listens to a person who does it? And then five years later, buying the, just making the decision to buy the equipment, mm -hmm. starting my first show. And since then, now having two shows, working on a third, being connected with all these different people. And, you know, in for something that is essentially on paper and to the U.S. government, a hobby. But, yeah. like, it's such a part of who I am and, mm -hmm. um, and, and has given me a way to express myself and tell stories in a way that, like, regular prose poetry writing didn't before and, mm -hmm. and, like, performance, theatrical performance didn't do. This is how I am, like, meant to express myself. Yeah. And coming to that realization at the end of this decade. So uh -huh. I just wanted to – that was really personal, but I wanted to just make sure I said that because I was like, no, I need to honor my journey with mm -hmm. all of that. And, I mean, I have no – I'm always fascinated with what they are, with what creators are coming out with and 
and the new things and the ways that people are approaching things. So, yeah. And again, a word of encouragement to anybody, just do it. Just go out there. It's a very small investment. Yeah, you you do have to put money into it, but you but you can do it with very little equipment and still make it be good. Mm-hmm. So, and one of the things that you and I had talked about recently was that, like, within ten years, this should be your only job. Yeah. And so, yeah. So within the next ten years. Yeah. So the end of next decade, you know, when I'm this <laughs> when we're doing our next decade recap. Exactly. Um, yeah. Hey, we're remember still having these monthly conversations. Um, yeah. This should be your only damn job. And we'll be doing it in your offices and not in my living room. So yeah. Go. Yeah. In our studio. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have a literal gay corner. We will. That I can sit in. Oh, can I decorate it, please? Uh, yeah. I'm going. To. We'll call Billy Porter. We'll, it's you know. It's already done. It'll be great. It's already done. So, yes. What's your five? What's your last one of this my decade? last one. You have the last word on the decade. Oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry. Didn't mean to it's put all that. Responsibility. I know. Um. I was thinking about this a lot, and I think, because hmm, mm-hmm. I, I mean, in recent years, we've taken steps back, obviously, since 2016, but what the Obamas did for the arts in this decade, I mean, he was, you know, he was elected in 2008, Yeah. but between 2010 and 2016, like, they formed, like, the arts was such a central part of government under their administration, and so... I just want to, like, make space and honor that, and that has meant a lot to me personally as an artist and educator. Um, that was a big, big part of my decade. But also, what I want to say is that my number five with a bang is Pete Souza. Oh, the photographer? Correct. <laughs> number five. <laughs> is That's Pete, really great. Pete Souza yeah. has photographed every second of the Obama administration and he had unlimited access to every meeting he was ever in and like completely unrestricted access. And Obama wound up marrying Pete Sousa and his wife. And like, there's, um, there's such a, like in all of his published photographs of, of the Obama administration, you see like the love that he had for that administration and, um, and the beautiful, joyous moments, the painful moments of the administration. And he captured that whole administration through his art. And it just felt like this really lovely kind of meta moment there to kind of talk about what the Obamas did for the arts, but then to have it like captured by an artist um, who's now kind of coming into such huge success by like throwing shade at our current president. <laughs> like it's uh it's just really fascinating to me. And I think that the photographs that Pete Souza took was uh were and are so incredibly smart, iconic, like images of like the little black boy who was like reaching up to touch Obama's hair. Mm-hmm. You know, um like those images are just gonna be, you know revered for our lifetime and and beyond i hope um but then what pete Sousa has done with his photographs and with his art as a political tool since the obama administration has been really funny like for every awful thing that our current president is doing pete Sousa is like throwing shade by posting like what obama did in this situation and so on and so forth so um i just i have to say that like this this decade 
I think like the end of the Obama administration and even since uh, has really been beautifully captured yeah. by Pete Sousa. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's very beautiful. Yeah. And I have a book of his photography. Um, I have his Obama book. Mm-hmm. I won't buy his second book, Shade, just because I don't want anything Trump related in my house. But um, but I really I admire the work that he does. And I think that like. He's just a really good guy, too. Like, I've seen him interviewed. I've, you know, people show up to his book signings, and he's just wonderful. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really great. That's my number five. Awesome. That's it. I mean, we covered a lot. That's the 2010s. That was the 2010s, and we really did, like, we covered a lot of pop culture. Yeah. We did it better than, you know... We we did it better than some other publications. Take that, Entertainment Weekly. Yeah. Take that, Time Magazine. Take that, Vulture. Take that, People en Español. Take that, New York Times. Take that, The New Yorker. Take yeah. that. Um, so we're at the end of another year and a decade. Yeah, a decade. We have You and I have known each other for... Ten years. A decade. Yeah. <laughs> it, this This decade is the end of, like... I just realized that, like, how a lot of the people that I've met at the beginning of this decade, it's now I've known them for 10 years. Well, there it is. So there you are. There you go. So. We are a $10 bill. Yeah. Um, and we're going to come at you again with another whole year of arts and culture. I mean, do you believe we're entering year three already? I can't believe. I mean, get ready for 2020, y'all. It's going to be great. It's going to be a new year, a new decade. All kinds of trash. Joe and I are going to do so many glitter sports. Yeah, all the glitter sports. I mean, we have, we have a summer coming. We like, have it's going to be great. A, a J-Lo Shakira halftime show. Yeah. A summer Olympic. Another season of Dancing with the Stars. Hopefully with, uh, you know, with a Sean Spicer clause, maybe. Oh, like, yes. We ha- yeah, we'll see. There's so much. And uh, and we're excited to keep talking about the arts and champion- championing the arts always, and uh, you're fun to talk to. Yes, you are as well. Hey, thanks, Josephine. This has been fun. Thanks, thanks for your 10 years of friendship. Thanks for your 10 years of friendship <laughs> and your two years of podcasting with me. Yes. Thanks for bullying me into doing this. Uh, you know, I had to. <laughs> you're a bully for fun. I love it. Um, and hey, listeners, Sevens, we appreciate you. Thanks for listening all year long. Yes. Now listen next year. Listen next year. Enjoy your time, your art time of 2019, of the 2010s, and enjoy your time of the 2020 coming up. Yes. Keep it real, kids. Bye. Bye.